I started the uh, sermon. Uh, make sure this one is on. Uh, actually, it was a, I started a sermonette probably three weeks or so ago, and I wanted to go ahead and finish that in in, in the line of a sermon. I uh, a comment on the uh, cold weather out there. Our roads are very icy. I uh, was a while ago. I forgot my Bible. Can you believe that? You forget your Bible. <laughs> I went home to get it, and I took a spill. So the roads are very slippery out there. So be careful when you're walking around. I don't want to see anybody else fall and break a bone or something. I hit my head, so that was okay. <laughs> Chipped the ice. <laughs> But it is nice to see a nice white outside. I, I like the snow more than the rain. Uh, but out here, you know, when it gets the rain, it gets mucky. And then I get to wanting to have the snow again, or actually the, the sunshine. This uh, sermon that I started was, I gave a background basically on what I was wanting to cover. And I'm going to go into the the difference between try to go in the difference between human nature versus God nature because we always talk about being like God we want to be like God Terry brought that out how that should be our greatest desire is to be like our Father be like Christ and we strive to do that you know Mr Armstrong in that letter. And I think I read that letter years ago somewhere. Uh, you know, it's one of those things you put in the back burner in your life because it happened years ago. But very, very important. God did call Mr. Armstrong. And I find that so many times people are trying to be like Mr. Armstrong. They try to do the same thing Mr. Armstrong did. And to me... What it's saying, in effect, is Mr. Armstrong is really the model that we should pattern our life after. And Mr. Armstrong consistently, as I remember, on the, when I first started listening in 1962, consistently said, don't believe me, believe the Bible. So it was his intent was to pray and study and you know, spend your time with God. But, you know, back in the 60s, we thought, well, uh, Christ is going to come in 1972. And I can remember the minister at the time said, you know, you might only have two third tithe years and one release because Christ is going to return and, you know, and you won't. And what happened? I can remember Charles Dorsey back in uh, probably 69, 68, somewhere 67. He said he didn't think that 72 would be the time, more like 82 or 85. And, but we all set our goals, I remember, back there in the Houston church as 72. You know, we're going to go to a place of safety. We're all going to go out there and jump on the airplanes and fly to Petra. 
or fly over to Tel Aviv or wherever and then catch the bus down to Petra. We didn't give a lot of thought that what we thought would be 144,000 people. Well, how many aircraft would that be? That would be a massive transportation problem, wouldn't it? <laughs> when you can carry at that time maybe 200 people on a plane. But we didn't think about that. We always thought we're going to be like some of these other people. And so many times I looked out there and, you know, and I have to admit, wouldn't it be nice to be like, you know, like for us here, to have the ability to speak and talk and, and understand like our pastor does? But I don't have that ability. But, you know, you sometimes look at that and say, hey, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be the thing to do, to be like Herbert Armstrong? to be like whoever the pastor was, uh, Ted Armstrong at the time, or uh, one of these other ministers that could really get up there, you know, Gerald Waterhouse, could get up there and speak for four hours and keep your, your attention. Even though it was hard to sit, he still could keep you locked on. You thought, man, if I could just be like that. What is that? That's called envying, you know. You envy that person's ability to be able to speak and carry on and capture their interest and walk on to them. If you're an upcoming person wanting to be a deacon or an elder or, you know, want to be something important. And so you walk on to that aspect of life. But some people say, well, that's just jealousy, you know. You're just jealous because you can't do it. Well, there is a difference between envying and jealousy. Generally speaking, envying is between uh, two people or three or four people, and jealousy typically involves two or three or four people. You know, like God says, He's, an, he's a jealous God. Why? Why does He call Himself a jealous God? Because He developed a family, and then he married a, a nation and called it the church in the wilderness. And the first thing these people did, you know, was go out and find some other god. Well, that's what happens in jealousy, isn't it? You know, you take a man and a wife, and say the man starts flirting around with somebody else's wife. You think the wife is going to be sitting back, oh, that's okay, that's fine. Or maybe the wife flirts around with some other man, and he's going to say, well, that's okay, I mean, I can understand that. Not normally, would it? That's your possession, you know. We go back to Genesis chapter 2. It says, a man will leave his father and mother, and take them a wife, and those two will become one, you know, one family, one being. And so, yes, if somebody's taking your husband or your wife, you become upset, very upset. Well, God was that way, wasn't it? He was pretty upset. And no doubt he had every righteous right to do that because he developed a family and protected them, gave them everything, and they turned their back on him. Well, Ask yourself, husbands or wives, 
would you uh, be happy that somebody's taking your husband or your wife or your children or whatever? No, nah, you'd be pretty uptight, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd be pretty uptight. So God called the church under Mr. Armstrong, and no wonder God became jealous and broke the church apart because we got our attention on the wrong aspect of life, the wrong place, the wrong things. God should be the primary focus of our life. But he's not always that way, is he? So we get to thinking, I'd like to be like God. Well, you're right. You want to be like God, but you will never be exactly like God. Your attitude should be godly attitude. But God called individuals, didn't he? I don't see anybody sitting out there that is as good looking as me, you know, or bad looking, however you want to look at it. <laughs> Sometimes scary looking in the mirror. But you know, you are different. You are unique as a person. And we fight a battle that is a battle of human nature versus God nature. So we want to be like God. We want to have God's nature. And Terry went through a whole series there in Galatians chapter 5. And if you go to Galatians 5 and read through 19, 20, and 21, tells you what human nature is as opposed to God nature. We want to be like God, godly character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Not always that way, are we? No, we're more apt to be the other side, way on the other side. First two things he brings up, or three things he brings up, are sexual sins, aren't they? Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, all leading us away from God. All causing us as an individual to make our Creator jealous. And that's what our human nature is. But you are unique, you know that? You're an individual that God called. He specifically looked down and opened your understanding, and then as you grew, He, he selected some. And we can tell we're unique. How many of you have the same eyes that I have? Well, we have technology that you can look into something, it'll scan the retina of your eye, and it can tell who you are. And there's nobody else that could fit that pattern once they put it in there. How about your fingerprints? There's nobody else got the same fingerprints you have. Out of billions of people, you're all different. How about your voice? You know technology has developed to the point where you could speak and try to cover up your voice. You can try to mask it in whatever way possible, but the technique that they have determines who you are. They know who you are. God never made rubber stamps, did he? So he is calling a bride. And Daryl's been pointing out, he what, two weeks, three weeks ago, he talked about how the things that the bride should not be. 
And last week he covered things that the bride should be. Because you are unique. He wants you like you are. You, as the wife, should compliment the, the husband. You are a compliment to the husband. So, God has many things he wants to do to compliment himself. So he calls people that have certain qualities, certain capabilities. There are things that I can do, and there are things I can't do. Certainly know, like my wife is talented in music and in art and things and reading and you know, writing poetry and stuff. I wouldn't even begin to think about doing that. But I've got talents in other ways, too. And being different, that's why I'm that way. So why is it, then, that I want to be like somebody else? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why do you want to be like somebody else? Why would you want to uh, be the quality of someone like maybe... Uh, Gerald Waterhouse, I can say that because I know he sleeps, or Herbert Armstrong, or Ted Armstrong, you know, they, they had qualities. I will never be that. Neither will you. God didn't call you to be like that, did he? But we are faced with it, like Terry brought out, we're faced with trials, things we have to look about in our life. In Proverbs 24.1 says, be not you envious against evil men. But how often do we get that way? I'm not saying that necessarily have to be evil men. I mean, there are good people. I can remember one time uh, shaking uh, the hand of uh, uh, just one of those things, get older, it comes and goes. Uh, he wrote uh, uh, Mega Memory. Uh, and I sat there and listened to one of his things. I thought at that time, back then, wouldn't it be good to be able to be able to turn everything you touch into gold, like the Midas touch? So you have, maybe you say, well, I really don't envy him, but in a sense, you want to be like him, because we don't want to sit back and say, I really will never be like that person. I have to be me. I have to be what God's called. And so whether they be evil people or even good people, you know, we've had tremendously. Mr. Armstrong was a good man. You want to be like God, like Christ, and but sometimes we pattern our life in the wrong thing. I think we did a whole series. Uh, Daryl did a series on... Uh, creating idols and having all these different things that we set up in front of our Creator and becomes a, an idol to us. So it says, don't be like, don't try to make your life exactly like another human being. And neither do you desire to be, be with her. I knew a man back in, in Fort Myers who was very accomplished when he went into business. He could turn it into money. And I tried. And the more I tried, the farther down I'd go. Because I, I wanted to be, in some sense, I want to be like him. They would do that. But, you know, that, in a sense, is being envious. 
And why do we get that way? Do you have TV? Do you have a radio? What do you hear? If you have this car, you're going to be, you know, take the guys, you know, you're talking to the men, you know. If you have this particular car, you're going to attract all these women. Yeah, sure. Have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> or maybe if you could have this house and a big mansion, you know, we can go over here to Colorado City. Big houses, like hotels over there. Do we sometimes wish we could have a big, fancy house? Well, they kind of, you know, the, the uh, advertisements are out there always hitting you. Always hitting you. Be this way. The men's warehouse, you know, the fellow gets on there and said, you will like the way you look. If you just buy my clothes, they're really going to make you the greatest person. And so you decide, you get in your mind, think, hey, maybe I need to have a better suit. It's going to make me be more handsome or more knowledgeable or more ability this way or that way. Are we not hit with those things? Does that not employ, you know, hit your mind? We become and we have this tendency as a human being because that's our, our side, our life. We're here, you know, this is reality, they say. Well, this is just a temporary existence, really. God said you have 70, maybe 80 years. 60, maybe 70 years, you know. Some of us already approached and passed those places, so we live on borrowed time, don't we? Like I tried to bring out the last time, and I said, you know, I only have so many days. 2,900 days, you know. Oh, it sounds long, but it's not really. They click off really fast. So why should I want to be like somebody else when God says, buy back that time, doesn't he? You don't have the time to waste thinking of how great you could be doing something else. There again in Proverbs 24 Verse 19 says, Fret not yourself because of evil men, and neither be envious of the wicked. But, you know, is it not true that we see somebody can be, win the lottery, make millions of dollars? I remember a sermonette from a fella many years ago back in Houston. He said, God's never going to let you have a million dollars. You might as well face it. He loves you. He knows what you might do if you were a millionaire or a multimillionaire or a billionaire, you know. You probably, because of being human and envious and all these things, you would be somewhere else other than here. It's a rare person that would be willing to give up that. It'd be like an Abraham who was willing to give up everything to walk God's way like Herbert Armstrong, who was a uprising uh, man in advertisement, till God said, I understand that you have these qualities, and I'm going to put those qualities to work. And so he didn't go and think, I, I ought to be like 
this other person. I could be the greatest person on earth. No. He wanted to be like God. So, could we say he envied God? No. He wanted to be like God and recognizing he was a human being. John, 1 John 2. 1 John 2. This is why we have to stay away from those things. 1 John 2, verse 16 says, for all that's in the world, everything out here in the world, that's why God wants us to focus not on the advertisements, not on being somebody great, being the greatest speaker, you know, being the guy that can turn money into, you know, actions into gold on a, just on a whim. No, he said, everything that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, in other words, you strive to see everything you can see. And if you see somebody else has been able to go airplane flying and jump out and, you know, and climb cliffs and all that thing, those are the, the lusts of the eyes. You want to see everything. There's nothing you don't want to get up. Wouldn't look at uh, Solomon. He did everything in his life. He tried it all. He did it all. And finally comes to the conclusion that the whole thing of life is to fear God and serve Him. So he tried it all. We can go back and realize that. Do we want to be like, we want to envy the position that David had as king over the whole nation? Or Solomon, who built the temple, says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the of the flesh, rather, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And how many people are so full of pride? You know, pride and envy both have the same end result. They break the tenth commandment. And of course, if you break the tenth, you've already gone back and broken the first, second, and third, because if you're if you're lusting for these things, you have put something in place of God. Now, God's looked at you as an individual. He didn't make rubber stamps. He's not going to have rubber stamps in the kingdom. He's not going to be stamping out, okay, here's this person. He's going to look like this person. He's going to look like this person. He wants character. He wants what's in your heart. He wants you to obey and follow him as uh Solomon wrote, to fear God and obey Him. So he says that. Now all those things, he says, he goes on to say in there, everything that's in this world is going to disappear. So then why do we look for something that we can't have? Why can't we look and understand that uh, I'm an individual I'm who I am. A definition of envy is spiteful malice and resentment over another's advantage. You know? Somebody else has got an advantage that I want. So we need to look into our own life and see if, you know, if that's what's happening in my life. Is that an advantage to me? 
being spiteful is meaning having or showing or indicative of intense, often vicious illness. And so you want to see, well, if this person got sick or if this person got hurt, I might be able to step in and do that job. What you're saying is, I'm as good as them, why don't I get it? Do we want somebody else to be sick or hurt or not be able to do the job that they've been given to do? Can you do that job? That's where you have to ask. I want to do it, but can I do it? Do I have the background for that? I'm, I think I can look out here mostly and say, I don't know many people out here would run a thousand colonies of bees unless they spent some time learning. Now, I did that. And it was tough. And it was enjoyable. But I don't think anyone of you would really want to be a beekeeper, would you? You know that you're going to get stung 10, 20, 30, 40 times a day? Or maybe none. You know, it depends on the day. So, one of the things of being envious is being spiteful. Look into your own life. That's the only reason I want to cover these things is for us to realize that God's not creating rubber stamps. He wants you to look at as a human being and understand there are things that you have to change. Not all of us have the same thing. Another thing it says is malice. You know, malice means desiring or wishing pain or injury. That's what malice means. You wish that these people would get hurt. You wish that they would be in pain or they'd get injured. I don't think we ought to do that. Another aspect of envy is resentment. Do you resent somebody else, their position? Resentment is the abhorring of animosity against a person. You know? you know, I resent the fact that that person got a new house, got a new car, got new clothes. I should have had them. If that's the case, He's saying that aspect of resentment leads to envying. Acts 7, verse 9. An example, 7, 9, if you remember, Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons. And the youngest, or next to the youngest, I'm sorry, next to the youngest, was given dreams. Well, maybe God gave them for a purpose, for the family, for himself. But the patriarchs, it says, that's talking about the twelve, or the eleven, eleven, uh, resented or envied the close connection that Joseph had with his father, and the fact that God gave him dreams, you know, and you know, they didn't like the fact that Joseph said, you're going to bow down to me. 
Even my father and mother are going to bow down to me. Well, who do you think you are, upstart little snot, what they call him? They didn't like it. They didn't like his close contact. And so it says in Acts 7, verse 9, And the patriots moved with envy. See, see? They resented him. They had malice toward him. They were spiteful of him. They were better than he was. They were older. He's just a young guy. And they sold him into Egypt. Now, maybe it was for Joseph's good, but in the end result, we know that God had his hand in it. And so, who were they envious over? Over Joseph? Joseph's contact? Or envious over God's control? Because did he not save the whole family underneath Joseph, who put up grain for seven years, and when there wasn't any, they were able to come down there and live, and he provided a place for them. So, do we have resentment? Do we have envy over somebody else? Another definition could be unresolved anger over a negative event which occurred in, in the past. Uh, Ahab, I was listening to Second Chronicles, and it covered Ahab and how Ahab wanted to go to war. And we know Ahab was uh, far from serving God. He had all these idols and all these different religions. And so it was a time when Ahab was going to war and he called for his priests, his priests, not God's priests, his priests, and asked them, can I go to battle? And they said, sure. Well, yeah, you know, they, they want to butter him up. They want position and things. They said, yeah, go out there and buy and, and, you know, you're going to win. You're going to take them. But Jehoshaphat was there, who was king of Judah, and he said, but is there not a a prophet of God around? You know, let's see what God has to say. And so they called Micaiah. And he said, and, and when he was brought in, some of the spokesmen for all these other 400 priests said, look, we told him this. And, you know, you're going to have to go along with us. So he told Ahab, yeah, yeah, go on out there to Bible. And Ahab said, how many times have I told you? You tell me what God says. He said, well, if you go to battle, you're not coming back. Ahab was, res was resentment. He had resentment toward Micaiah. Put him in prison. Bread and water. Did he get out? We don't know. We don't know, do we? case here of Jason. This is another example of the resentment. Jason was a convert to Christianity. Christ, one of Christ's, one of the disciples that followed 
after Christ's life. Acts 17, verse 5. Acts 17, verse 5. The Jews didn't like it. They didn't like what they had. They were envious because of the things that were happening in the church at that time. But the Jews, which believed not, they didn't believe that all these things that was being said, what Christ had done and how they had to make changes, were moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the basest sort. So they went out and got somebody that would be willing to say, I'll testify against them, you pay me enough. And gathered a company and set the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They conspired. They were the ones that brought the city to, to down. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These have turned the world upside down, are come hither also. Look! They've got this new doctrine. You know, people are being raised from the dead, healed. They're being changed and becoming better people. Who turned the world upside down? Just said they did. Whom Jason had received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. See, we should be looking like Caesar. We should do his way. Saying that there is another king, one Jesus, or Emmanuel, as we know. Is that why they got upset? They wanted the same thing that these others were getting. They were envious of the disciples. Remember the example of uh, Simon who saw the miracles being performed and wanted to be baptized and wanted to be converted. And he came in there and said, you know, I want to, to have this power. They, he was envious of what the disciples could do. And he could see that what God was doing was pulling people away from his way of life. And so Peter had to come in and tell him, take your money and go to the grave. Because your heart is not with God. You want what we have, but you're not willing to make the change. And that's what God is telling each one of us. You want what I have, but you're not willing to change. You're not willing to turn your life around. But God called us, didn't he? He called the church. And so we have been baptized. We said, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to follow God's way of life. But when we don't, when we find something that distracts us, and we say, well, maybe, you know, 
we, our, our actions say, we don't say it ourselves, but our actions say, well, we've got plenty of time. I could try to do this. Because, hey, look at these people. They have all these things. They've got cars and boats and planes and new clothes and, and they've got all this freedom and they do all these things. And so our actions say, well, we've got some more time. I think when I look back in 1972 and 3 and through at that time, I think we basically did that. And so we kept sliding farther away from God and closer and closer to the things of this world. And our eyes were not set on God. Our eyes were not set on His way of life. Our eyes were not set on being the bride. We can be as good as God. And so... God tells us in the fourth commandment, or third commandment, that he is a jealous God. And because we created him to be jealous, he puts his the pressure on even your fourth generation. When you walk away from God, it's going to be passed on down. And look at the kings. I'm reading through there. It, it was amazing reading through Chronicles, Kings and Chronicles, and realizing as long as the king served God, the people served God. But as soon as he became lax and desired other things, be more powerful or more money or all these things, the nation went downhill. They followed. They were actually wanting to be like other people. So they were actually envious of other people. Is that what happens in our lives? So I can ask the question then, where did, where did envy start? Do you know where envy started? And where the beginning of envy was? Well, we can go back to Genesis 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, 1. We can see where envy started. For man, that is, for humans, this is where we began to become envious Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Hey, look, what's out here? God restricted something from you? Man, you ought to have that. Look at it. Isn't that great? God's holding something back from you. But the fruit of the tree, uh, see, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Hey, we, God said we can have that. Ah, but the, you know, Satan points out, there's one tree you can't have. There's one thing you can't have that God has. What do we do? What happens in your particular life when somebody comes up and says, you can't have that? You know, I've got a little dog. I can put food on the floor and I can put two pieces, put some meat on the floor, two places. And say, you can have that, but that one you can't have. But he wants it. He will look for that one. I said, that's not yours. I want it, he says. That's his, you know, that's the dog mine. You know, that's, doesn't know any better. What about us? 
What happens in your mind when someone says, you can't have that? You can't have the sugars and the uh, alcohol, excessive overeating. You can't have all these things that's out here. What do you do? Right away. But it looks good. That's great. It tastes good. It's got to be good. So what started that? Well, for us as human beings, it was implanted in our mind by Satan that if God says you can't have it, that's what you want. And so you begin to look at that and you begin to desire it. You want it. I want to be that way. I want to be like, like that. I want to have that. So our advertisement comes out and says, look at this beautiful car. Think about it, young, young guys, older guys. If you have this car, this convertible, and it's brand spanking new, and you go driving, tooling down the road, all oh, these girls are going to come flocking to you. You know, when you're 70 years old, you're looking out there and saying, I don't need any girls. <laughs> I've been past that point. <laughs> I don't need any babies around. I don't need any little kids. I've grown up past that. But still, they're telling you, and that, and that the advertising is, if you have it. Well, I understand. I look out here and see all these young girls. Beautiful. Because God made you that way. But I don't look in the mirror and say, wow. You know, you can see, there was an ad once, and, and it wasn't over, it was over a, a hamburger, I think, <laughs> or, or a subway or something like that. And this real attractive woman walks by and these guys are googling over and she's thinking they're googling over her because hey I'm good looking you know and I've got a nice figure and all that they were they were googling over somebody's hamburger <laughs> but it's the same thing <laughs> isn't it I want that I want to put myself in that point the girl thinks hey they really think I'm the greatest <laughs> They don't even think about the girl. I remember that story. And I see you lose. You get old. Certain point, you you can say it's a it's a senior moment. But the one minister talked about the guy's going down the road, and here comes a bear, and he's coming after him. And he says, "I got to get out of this bear's way." So he starts running, and the bear starts running faster. And he's running, and bear's running. And uh, he's thinking, if that bear would just turn off, i got to get out of here. And the bear's thinking, if he would just turn off, I can get to the apples before he does. <laughs> and that's what it does. We think we are better than what we really are. That's what causes envy. It's you want something you can't have, and you think you are as good as somebody else. I'm just as good as you are. The fact is, I think if you're really... Boiled it down to the fact, I'm better than you, anybody else. Are you? Did God call you because he wants a bunch of rubber stamps? No. He knows your quality. He knows what's in your heart. He knows and has an idea of what he has in store in the very far future. How will you fit into that slot right now? So remember when... Uh, God gave Moses the responsibility to build the tabernacle, or, I'm sorry, Solomon. What did Solomon do? He'd go out there and get 
say, this person here, he doesn't know anything about building, but I'm going to take him. And here's somebody I need to do some gold work, and this guy's nothing more than a ditch digger. And I'm going to use him. No. He used the people that could do the job. And there are others. You know, we have, you can take maybe twisting a little bit on the uh, parable of the talents. He looked out here and gave one person ten talents. Because that person had the background to do that. You give another person five talents because he felt, he looked at it, and knew the person's ability that he could do that. He gave one, one. The one with one had to think, I'm only getting one. I'm just as good as the others. So I ain't going to do anything at all with it. Is that the case? We become envious of somebody else so we won't do what we could do. What God calls you and knows what you can do as an individual. So he doesn't expect you to do, he doesn't expect any of us out here to be in charge of a group of people because mostly we couldn't handle the job. So he calls somebody that he knows can handle the job, puts them in that position, gives them the job, and now it is the responsibility to do that. But we can sit back and say, I'm good as him. So I resent him. I'm going to be despiteful of him because I'm as good as he is. Or she is. No. God knows your heart. And so he's called you to do that. So there, then we get back is, in Genesis shows us, this is where envy began in man. And their life went downhill. As a marriage, it went downhill because they left what God gave them to do and tried to do something that wasn't theirs to do. But that's not the beginning. Envy began, we're shown in Ezekiel 28. This is where it began. We know that in the beginning... Christ, who is called the Word and the Father. You know that he never envied the Father. Christ never envied the Father. He didn't want that job. He wasn't envious. He knew he had a responsibility. And they worked together because they loved each other. So the opposite of envy is love. It's giving and helping. So there in Ezekiel 28, uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God, You sealed up the sum full of wisdom. Here's a being that was given everything. Sealed it up, he said. He had sealed up full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty, the greatest, most beautiful creature that God had created. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. So here he was in a place that a lot of us would like to be. Even the precious stones was your covering. And he goes through all the different beautiful stones that he was covered with. 
and the workmanship of your tablets and the pipes was prepared in you in the day that you were created. So when God created this being, put everything there except being creator, except being the one that shows the direction to go in. And you were anointed, uh, you, you are the anointed cherub that covers, had a specific assignment, extremely high position, and I have set you so, but you, uh, but was upon, you were upon the holy mountain of God. He was there, communicating with God, talking with God, back and forth to the job that God gave him. And you have walked up and down amidst the stones of fire. And you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. What was that iniquity? He wanted God's position. And then what it says, you can read on in, in uh, Isaiah 14, shows that he, in Isaiah 14, verse 14, Halel, who became Satan the devil, said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. In other words, he says, I want to be the Most High. I want to be the one in charge. He envied what God had. Instead of taking what God gave to him, the greatest of all God's creation, had everything except being in charge of everything. How often does that affect us? God wants us to fit into Galatians 22 and 23. Galatians 5:22 and 23, which are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what he wants in us, which is love, joy, peace, you know. If you have godly love and you have godly joy and you have godly peace, you're not out trying, you know, what is the opposite of peace? Fighting? Trying to get more for yourself? That's what Satan had. As Halel, he wanted everything. But God didn't give him everything, did he? He restricted a lot of that from him. So we should think about some of those things. You want to be the bride of Christ? <laughs> Is that the goal that we set? You know, we can set goals, but we can't set our eyes on being the number one. Our football games, our basketball games, uh, what do they say? We're number one, can't be number two. That is Halel's attitude. That's what's implanted in our minds. So we listen to the, you know, you listen to the, go to high school football games and the cheerleaders get up there and say, we're the greatest. And they get stomped in the ground. We get beat 49 to 2 or 3 or whatever, whatever it comes out to be. Because we have the wrong attitude. That's in our life. You know, we're, Wanting to be the bride. 
you will be a bride. You'll be different than other parts of the bride. You know, Daryl covered a lot of that last week in First uh, Corinthians 12. You know, the body, the human body, has fingers, hands, toes. You know, a lot of different things. I see the ads on there for these young men and women that are coming back from uh, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. Maybe no legs, maybe no arms, or one leg and one arm, or, or mentally damaged because of the things they went through. And how do they get along? How can you run when you have no legs? How can you throw a baseball if you're right-handed and you only have a left hand? can you put something together when your mind has been so destroyed that you can't hardly reason? You, you don't want people around you. When I was a kid in the eighth grade, we had a man who had been in the Second World War. And we harassed him. And I'm sad to say it was the wrong thing to do. He had battle fatigue because he had seen so many people killed and been in these combat and fighting and it was there were times that he was in great shape, but there were other times that would get to him and he would totally lose it. Do we envy those people? No. We need to look at and think on a lot of things in our life. What is it that you want? What are you willing to give up? You know what happened with Emmanuel? He came, gave up eternity. He was the one that actually created Halel underneath the direction of the Father. So he didn't want the Father's job. He had a job. He created Halel. He created the angels. He created this globe, this planet. He made it so we could live on it. He gave that up to have a bride to make it possible for us to be a part of what God is doing. And here in Matthew 27, he'd been lied about. They tried to get to him in every way possible. And here, a man was trying to get him released. A governor of Judah wanted to release him. And so he says in Matthew 27, verse 16, And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. He was a violent man, murderer. Therefore, when... They were gathered together. Pilate said to them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus that's called Christ? He knew what they were up to, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. The governors, the leadership of that country at that time, the, the religious leaders, wanted what Christ had, but didn't know how to get it. Do you want what Christ has? Do you know how to get it? 
There is a way that each one of us can do that. And that's putting envy and jealousy and, and the way of this world out of our life. So envy has a desire to have what someone else has, but you don't know how to obtain it. And so you find a way to belittle them or put them down or have resentment to them, to desire that something physically will happen to them that I can take over. Because everybody knows I'm the best, except me. Well, maybe I'm the only one who knows I'm the best. The rest of you know who I am. And that's what God does. So whether we're in the Garden of Eden, desiring what God gave us, and not striving to get what God has restricted from us, or whether we sit here, or are here on the telephone line, and say it ourselves, I want to be the pastor of a group of people. I want to be king of Israel. I want to be the president. I want to be a the head of the state of Arizona or Colorado or Texas or Alaska. You know, we're still the big places, Alaska and Texas. I want to be the most important. Or I want to be a bride of Christ. Not envying, not jealous, but I want to give my life that I can be a bride. That's what God's offered to us. He didn't offer us these other things. He didn't offer us to be an apostle or to be in charge of four, five, eight, ten, twenty, thirty thousand people. Didn't offer that to us. What he's offered to us is to be the bride. So if we focus on that, and you know, we have a lot of sermons. We've had a lot of information pointing us, us that direction. So is it worthwhile to envy? Envy is only one of the bound pools of human nature. But it is a big one. Because it can keep you from having what you really want. I told that one young man in Florida, sometimes you ask for things that you don't really want. So we ask sometimes for more of God's Spirit. We ask, which is, then maybe we do want that. Or, like was brought out, we are headed in the path that many people are going to be tried, and we got, we have Hebrews 11 shows what happened to many of those people. Do we want that, or do we want to be a part of the bride of Christ? Do you want to have a new car? Do you want new clothes? Do you want to be the most popular? Do you want to be the, be the one that does everything and everybody comes to you? 
Sometimes you find that when they do come, they put you to work a lot more than what you think. So don't envy each other. You are an individual. You are unique. You have a, a particular thing that God knows that you can do. He understands who you are. He calls you, selects you, and puts you where you are. What you have to do is to say, I understand. I'm going to do the best I can. And like I told my kids, and Proverbs says, whatever your hands find to do, you know, God gives you things to do. And it can be anything. Chopping wood, shoveling snow, or babysitting. Whatever your hand finds to do, do that to the best of your ability and capabilities. And don't worry about the other things. They don't make any difference anyway. So our job should not be to want somebody else's. It should be to want what God's given you to do. So do it with your mind.